In the year 2000, the pharmaceutical giant GlaxoSmithKline joined a lawsuit with 39 other pharmaceutical companies filed against Nelson Mandela and the government of South Africa. They filed the lawsuit because they felt they weren't making enough money specifically off of their retroviral drugs to treat AIDS. And so they filed a lawsuit claiming that the government and Mandela had broken all of their price protections in violation of some law or another. But it was necessary in Mandela's mind and the government of South Africa to do so because the average cost of the drugs per month was $1,000. And the average annual salary in South Africa was $3,000. The access to the needed drugs in the time of crisis was not available. And yet, GlaxoSmithKline and all these other pharmaceutical companies filed suit. And it's astounding to me to think about it. First, that there was somebody out there who filed a lawsuit against Nelson Mandela and then finished their workday thinking, I did a good job. <laughs> and I'm not the only one stymied and horrified by this fact. The research staff of GlaxoSmithKline was also horrified and, and strongly in opposition to this particular lawsuit being filed because none of these scientists had gotten into the game they had gotten into because they were looking to make millions and millions of dollars. They got into research medicine because they were answering a call to a vocation to make the world a better place. And yet, they felt absolutely no power in this situation. They felt like they had no voice, completely heartless in the face of the situation. Somebody needed to muster up some courage to try to make a difference in the moment, but where, where was that courage going to come from in this situation? I started teaching a new round of beginner's improvisation this week. This is my third time going out as a teacher, and I love it. Teaching is a new experience for me, and I found that it forces me to really get clear on what it is I think about the thing I'm teaching and try to communicate it sharply and succinctly, and also a revelation that no matter what I say, I'm not living up to my own principles about how I'm doing my own thing. I'm my own worst slash best student in this case. Now we have a motto at Santa Fe Improv. We are trying to instill in our students and our improvisers the skills of listening, exclamation point, courage, and teamwork. Those are our watchwords. And I can teach people how to listen better. And I can teach people how to get together as a team. But how on earth do I teach courage? That's a pretty, pretty tall order. And so I approach them with platitudes. Everything you need to be good is right in front of you. Don't worry about it. We're all together as a team. You'll find it. 
just go with your first thought. Your first thought is your best thought as we're playing these games of just simple word association, and yet it never fails, and I do it myself still after however many years I've been doing this now, of just second-guessing myself. All I have to do is say the first thing that comes into my head, a simple game of word association, I'd like, wait, no, that's, that's a dumb one. That's not very funny. No, nobody's going to like that. Everybody's going to think I'm weird and have very strange questions for me after I say this as an association to that word, and I don't want to answer any of those questions right now, and pretty soon a minute has gone by. And it happens with my students. No matter that I say, there's no wrong answer. First thought, best thought. It's a normal human thing to question in general, am I enough in this moment? Is what I have to give good enough? Is it smart enough? Is it funny enough? What will I accidentally reveal about myself in the process of making this association and saying this word? It is the first day of junior high school syndrome, and we all suffer from it from time to time. The first day in a new setting where we're definitely more mature and approaching adulthood every day of our lives and wondering, who's going to sit with me at lunch? Who can I sit with at lunch? Are they going to expect me to know the thing they're teaching me for the first time, even before they start teaching the thing? And am I going to be weird? Is this thing that I like weird? Am I going to get shunned because I'm a fan of this particular thing or I'm into this particular hobby? It's a truth about communities and coming into them. Every community, every new community we join into, comes with its own set of expectations about how it is we are to be together. And some of those expectations are explicitly stated so you know what you're walking into, and a lot more of them are just implicit in the way everybody who's been part of a community is being together as that community. It's the how we do things around here that's never really written down. And when you're new, you learn those expectations, the ones that aren't written down by trial and error. And sometimes the error is painful. Sometimes somebody lets you know with no uncertain conditions that you screwed that particular thing up. And then you're on the defensive. We start to throw up walls to protect ourselves from the hurt that might come, trying to fit into a place, trying to be part of the way we do things around here, or yet start to question, is this the way we should do things around here? We shut up so much of ourselves sometimes, depending on what community it is we are trying to fit into, that we just start wearing many masks and taking on different characters depending on which group we are among, and quietly praying, oh, please, do not let the bit that does not fit reveal itself to these people. I don't want to have to answer those questions right now. And it could be a different bit, a different piece of yourself that might not fit in to a particular community, but that's, that's the prayer. Please don't let the bit that doesn't fit show up. Just please. 
Meanwhile, of course, the bit of you that does not maybe fit in this particular circumstance is saying, let me out. Introduce me to your friends. Oh, God, no, why, why would I do that? No, I thank you. I'm going to keep this mask on. I'm going to keep myself separated from all of you. We develop so many fears trying to fit in in so many different places, so many fears. How is courage even possible? But the truth is, all of those various fears and all those various communities really come down to just one simple fear. It is the fear of being vulnerable in front of people you don't know if you can trust yet, if you can reveal the deepest tenderest, most sensitive parts of yourself and be safe. In the United States culture, at least in general, there's not a lot of safety in vulnerability. Emotions are passe, unwelcome. And if you express your feelings, especially if your feelings are, uh, are of hurt or pain or sadness or mistrust or just opposite of what everybody else is feeling at a given time, well, that's just a sign of weakness. And none of us want to be weak. Because if we're weak, there's no courage in there. Right? And yet vulnerability is exactly the thing we need to feel in order to be courageous. Brene Brown was a guest on, on Faith with Krista Tippett many, many years ago, this particular interview. She kicks off the interview with Krista saying, I always ask a very simple question to people. I just say, think of the last time you did something that you thought was really brave or the last time you saw someone do something really brave. And I can tell you as a researcher, 11,000 pieces of data, I cannot find a single example of courage moral courage, spiritual courage, leadership courage, relational courage. I cannot find a single example of courage that was not born completely of vulnerability. We buy into some mythology about vulnerability being weakness and being gullibility and being frailty because it gives us permission not to do it, not to do the thing. We need to be vulnerable in order to be courageous. Weakness and fear are not the opposite of courage. Fear is an emotion, and it's an amygdala emotion. It's our lizard brain run wild in response to something that might rightly frighten us or might not. It's one that's hard to control. But courage, courage, it turns out, is a skill. It is something that can be learned. It is something we can develop, a muscle we can flex together. Back in 2000 at GlaxoSmithKline, 
they also hired a new chairman of research and development for the company, Dr. Tadatka Yamada, a gastroenterologist who had grown into being a researcher himself. And he came on board as this lawsuit against the government of South Africa was in place, and he was horrified, definitely unhappy, absolutely opposed from the onset as he started, first day on the job, I am against this, guys. And he started talking to the rest of his researchers, the people under his charge, and learned, yes, they too were absolutely opposed to this thing. It was ridiculous. It was hurting us in the long run. We just don't know what to do with it. But whereas the researchers felt powerless in the situation, Dr. Yamada, over the years, had come to understand where his power was in the situations he was working in. As a Japanese immigrant in America, he had a very clear understanding of what it was like to be in the minority in a country and have to work your way through into things and prove yourself over and over again. And so in every job he had worked in before he had arrived at GSK, he had challenged the conventions that he had found where he was working. He had championed people of color, African-Americans, to hold positions they might not have held within the hospitals and other research facilities that he was working in. He had learned, he said, not to underestimate any chance there was, no matter how small, to challenge the status quo. It was enough. And because Dr. Yamada had worked as hard as he did to get where he was, he had the ability to sustain focus and determination, even on those small chances to make a change in the status quo. And as he rose up and gained more privilege for himself, he remembered where he had come from and realized there was great power in leveraging the privilege you have in service of people who don't have it yet. He started to meet with executives of the company one-on-one, -on -one, hammering with them over and over again the fact that what they were doing was morally irresponsible, that the company had a moral responsibility to make the life-saving medicines they were developing accessible to people. Otherwise, what was the point of developing life-saving medication? Just to hang on to it? And with his research team, came to develop a new model for the company, which he was able to go to the higher-ups and propose, which was this. They were gonna take one research lab, one research lab in Spain that he had identified, and turn it into a non-profit laboratory within the company. That its sole purpose would be to research life-saving medications specifically for diseases that were affecting the developing world, malaria, AIDS. In April of 2001, GlaxoSmithKline dropped the lawsuit, along with the 39 other 
companies that had joined them along with it. And not only did they drop the lawsuit, they reduced the price of their AIDS medication by 90% or more. They made it accessible. And over time, GlaxoSmithKline became a leader in serving global health. Now, Dr. Yamada is not unique. He fills a particular mold of what it means to be courageous, of gaining his sense of courage through the work and the struggle that he went through himself. Courage is something that can be learned and exercised. Amy L. Ava is Director of Education for the Greater Good Science Foundation, and she has spent a lot of time studying courage as a scientific principle, especially among other educators. And she's learned a few things over the years about what we can do to flex those courageous muscles, to build up the skill. Number one, see yourself as courageous. Flip the script on yourself. See where your own power is and just call yourself what you might fear you are not. I am courageous. Get comfortable with mistakes because you're going to make them. Don't let them own you when you're trying to make a change. Persistence over time. Keep trying. Look for the heroes, the people you admire. They often reflect to you some value that you want to see in yourself. So study them as an example. How is it they've been able to stand up and demonstrate courageousness in difficult situations? Clarify your values. Know what it is you stand for in the first place. She did an experiment with educators, interviewing them about what their individual values were, and she found almost across the board that as soon as teachers were able to articulate what it was that they valued, specifically within their, their work sphere, their anxiety levels whew, dropped because they knew what they were working towards. It wasn't a mystery anymore. It wasn't a question. There was purpose in knowing what that was. And finally, she says, act on those values in community with one another. Don't go it alone. Big acts of courage sometimes seem like a solo act. But long-sustained courage happens within community. And that's the story of what happened to GlaxoSmithKline as well. Dr. Yamada left the company in 2006 to go be the global health chair for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But what he had instilled in his researchers that worked under him was the persistence of courage that he demonstrated over those six years that he worked there. The plans they made together stuck. The nonprofit research center in Spain is still a nonprofit research center creating more and more life-saving drugs, leading GlaxoSmithKline to be that leader in global health that they have become. Now, most of us are never going to take on a big pharmaceutical company. 
we're just not in a position to do that. But the truth is, we don't need a big windmill to tilt at. We don't need a giant to slay or a dragon in order to be seen as courageous. Courage sometimes happens at low volumes, sometimes maybe not even seen by others. Amy Ava writes, courage doesn't have to look dramatic or fearless. We express it in both bold and quiet ways. In fact, general courage, the confident or seemingly brazen actions perceived by others, differs from what she calls personal courage, those actions that are courageous in the minds of the actors themselves. It all depends on how you view the challenge in front of you and the fears associated with performing a particular behavior. In other words, she writes, these days, some of us may need significant personal courage to get out of bed and face the day on behalf of those people we care about and value. Sometimes it takes courage just to show up. and do it in community. So I come back to my question in my own teaching adventures, how do I teach courage? How do I demonstrate to people step by step how to be a courageous person? And I finally came to the realization that I can't. I can't teach you how to be courageous. But what I can do is create an environment in just a small community setting that makes courage possible, that gets everything out of the way, that walls us off from those moments of courage. And in improvisation in particular, the stakes are so low, the risk is almost not even there to begin with. So I stopped teaching my students the rules of improvisation. I don't start with the yes and anymore and the how to build the scene. We spend two hours on trust. The most important tool is trust. Trust yourself. Trust that you have everything within you that you need to do this thing, to play this game in this setting, to make this scene with others, because you've lived a life. You're a smart person. You've got all this stuff inside you. Even if you don't remember things, that's why we play association games. It will call up things you may have forgotten about yourself. Trust that you have everything you need and trust the people who are on the team with you in this moment because they're gonna rely on you too. Your job is not to be funny, is not to be clever. Your job is to be the biggest fan of everybody else on your team and they're gonna be your biggest fan too and they're gonna support you without condition. Because there's a practice we have in performance, with my own team especially, before we go out on stage, patting each other on the back and just saying, I've got your back. That changes everything about how we approach what we're doing. Trust yourself, trust your team. Be one another's biggest fans, lift each other up no matter what. 
And at that moment, everything in your ego, everything about what you expect in that moment, everything about what you thought your scene was going to be about, all of that goes away. Your ego is gone, and you are a team, and you're giving of yourselves freely and in ways you may not have expected because you didn't know you had the thing within you. Let go, finally, of your expectations for the moment. Give up all thought of the way we do things around here. Flex those muscles together in a space that is absolutely safe to do it in. A lot of breakdowns that happen in communities, I think, have a lot to do with these implicit and explicit expectations that we have of one another in this group, especially the expectations of the group. Far too often, I think, the way we do things around here just gets us in the way of ourselves. When we're ingrained in a system, especially when new people are coming in, or even people we've known forever, when we're in that kind of mode of group and system, we start to see other people as cogs in a wheel and what they can do for us, what role they might fill. Whether or not somebody might be ready to fill a role, whether or not we see them for who they are and not recognize their talents or not. We're trying to fill gaps. We're trying to make communities stay what the community is. And when we can't see others for the people, the whole people that they are, we grow stagnant as communities. We don't open any doors for the bit that doesn't fit in the new person walking through. The first step in creating a community that fosters courage is to let go of all of those expectations of how we do things around here and how people might serve us and what they might give to us and to develop some courage to see others as whole, real, individual beings, as individuals separate from whatever they might be to a group or a community, whatever they might, we might think they can do or offer. Courage to accept that whole person as they are, especially the bit that does not fit, because that might be the bit we didn't know we were missing. The courage to accept what's created in the process of welcoming that all in without question, of letting go of our expectations. That's challenging work, and I think it is the work of a church community especially to foster a space where courage can be practiced. Now, the idea of safe spaces gets some ridicule in our society today, but I think they're absolutely necessary, and I think we all need one from time to time wherever we can find it so that we can be the vulnerable person who grows into courage. Where there is less risk in being vulnerable, no risk at all where we can speak our deep truths of our whole self without fear and without judgment. 
and not that the safe space is some place that we just go to and stay in forever because it's safe and I don't have to venture out. No, a refuge to rest for a bit and flex those muscles and develop that courage and go back out into a world that thinks vulnerability is weakness and try to speak the hard truths. Do you see? Do, do you see? Is, is he naked? Do you want to say something? Yeah, I want to say something. This is our place to practice courage. It should be, at least, to build it within one another, to create an environment where it can just happen. Because transformation begins at home. And the world needs us to speak truth that others might not want to hear. The truth of our wholeness as individuals and as a community. The truth that we are here and we matter. The truth that others are here and they matter too. So within this small subset of a larger community, in this laboratory for being more human, that's what I'm hoping we can do together. Trust that what is within us is the thing that is needed in the moment. Trust that our teammates have our backs, that they are our biggest fans and they will not let us down. Understand that what we are building together is more important and bigger than any single one of us. And gain the courage to let go of all those expectations and that need for control on what the outcome will be. So that we can just see one another. And have the space to be who we are and develop the capacity to change the world one small act of personal courage at a time. I've got your back. Maybe so.